Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Hey everybody, hope you're doing well. It's your favorite instructor, Ryan Bradshaw for Business Law, and I have to start off with an apology. I know that because of the shakeup, I had to do a readjustment of the schedule. And so you've actually already done the homework for Chapter 12. But I'm going to go ahead and cover it um, and, and kind of uh, hit the high points because uh, just for the sake of education, you know, I want to make sure that you are able to get the lecture on that. But I do apologize for not having the timing, you know, just right on this. But you know, just like everybody else, we're all making adjustments. So, <laughs> but I, I appreciate you guys um, bearing with us, myself and my colleagues and the college through this transition. Um, it is uh, kind of like the experience I'd say we're going through right now is kind of like that show Chopped, if you've ever seen that. I really like watching it. You know, I've seen it many times. But if you haven't seen it, basically the premise of Chopped is. You compete against four other chefs or three other chefs. There's four total in the beginning. And there's three rounds. And for the first round, you open up a mystery basket of goods. And it's usually three or four random weird ingredients. And the chefs are all challenged with making an appetizer for the first round, an entree for the second round, and a dessert for the third round. And each round, one of the chefs gets chopped uh, because they performed what the judges deem to be the worst of that round. And so right now, what WCC and all the colleges pretty much of the world are doing right now, and many organizations, many households, we are all just opening up a mystery basket and and just seeing what's in there. And then on a limited time crunch, they're saying, just go with it and make something, go. And so, yeah, I think we're all uh, dealing with that, you know, in unique ways. So I appreciate you guys uh, working with uh, myself and, like I said, the department and the college. And uh, we're, we're here to support you, and we're here to work with you through this process. Um, I've gotten some feedback from students, and a lot of you are um, adjusting well, and some of you have had some challenges, but... Um, we're working through those challenges together. So anything that we can do, we need to know about it because, uh, you shouldn't have to try to figure out everything alone, you know? Um, so where are we at this week? Um, this is a brand new week. And so that's a, that's a good thing. Number one, you know, kind of getting, getting started. And this is a short week. We've only got, um, the, the, you know, you're only going to meet for business law for Monday and Tuesday. We're not going to be here Friday, which is good Friday. And so just to give you a heads up for next week. So we're meeting four days this week. Next week, they canceled spring break after Monday because of the week that we were out, that we suspended classes due to the coronavirus. So I'm not going to adjust the schedule for assignments, meaning that you're not going to have anything due the original week of spring break, which is next week. So no homework will be due that week. However, I'm still going to be required to post lectures. And so I will be posting lectures those days. 
and you still will be required to just sign into Moodle and click on and listen to those lectures. But uh, homework will not be due to the following week. And so I will remind you of that and clarify that again. But I just want to again put that out there as an announcement. Um, and if you have any questions about it, just let me know. But just in brief, we, we suspended classes back uh, a couple weeks ago for the coronavirus. In order to make that up, they shortened spring break basically to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We're picking back up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. And so technically we'll meet Wednesday and Friday uh, next week. And then we'll just keep progressing our way through the semester. It really is uh, almost over. We've only got, oh, let's see, this week, um, probably about four more weeks, and we're really, you know, there. So uh, hang, in, hang in there with me a little bit longer, and we'll, and we'll make it through this. Um, other announcements and, and points of interest, uh, we are um, seeing, just since I brought up the coronavirus, and that is the hot-button topic of our times, we are witnessing the apex or the coming apex or the the tipping point, the, the climax, I guess you could say, of the spread in certain areas. Um, we're not there yet, but New York is saying that probably within one to two weeks, um, you'll hit a high point for daily infections. And then let's just throw it out there that let's say it's, I don't know, just throwing a number out, let's say it's, it goes to three or three or 4,000 a day. Let's say 4,000 every day, 4,000 new infections, just as a number. And then, you know, once it hits that number, uh, you, the next day it may be 3,900 or 3,800. And then slowly but surely it'll work its way back down because we have hopefully prevented new infections from breaking out. Uh, it's not guaranteed that it'll keep going down. Uh, it could um, have a top. And then a, uh, a double top, you know, it kind of can, it looks like it's going to dip and then go back up again if we don't maintain the social distancing and safe protocols. Um, I don't know if you saw this, and uh, it's pretty new new news, I guess. It's been out for a day or two, so I don't know if I've communicated this to you. But um, the CDC has issued guidance that they want people to wear masks in public, and I am advocating to do that. Um I bought a ski mask, which is uh, basically kind of like a sleeve that you would cut off a shirt, like a short sleeve, but it's um, it's got a it's really a thicker material that's that's warm and kind of not necessarily 100% windproof or waterproof, but it's it's somewhat windproof and waterproof, and you just slide it down over your head and and you wear it around your nose and mouth, and so that in lieu of a medical mask. Um, is what I'm using. Uh, I've only been out in public one time wearing it. I went to Walmart yesterday, uh, which was Saturday. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday for you guys on Monday. But anyway, I, I did go to Walmart, and I noticed that probably, I'll just say 10% of the people in there were wearing masks. And so it was actually, to me, 10% was a good number. Um, I mean, not a good number, but it shows that people are taking, some people are taking this seriously, and my hope is that those people wearing masks, including myself, are signaling to the other people, hey, maybe you should consider wearing a mask. And I actually posted it online. Um, I don't post on Facebook often anymore, but I posted a few things recently um, just because I feel like if I have some information I want to pass along, I should do that regarding uh, this virus and otherwise. But um, the way I put it when I posted this was, 
if wearing a mask would reduce your risk and the risk to your family by 1%, would you wear a mask? And that's a really practical question because, yeah, even if it reduced the risk by 1%, I would wear it because, you know, I mean, that's 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 1% more of a chance I'm not going to get sick and spread it to my family. And so I think that wearing a mask, if everybody wore masks, it would greatly diminish the spread of the virus because those people who are asymptomatic, meaning they're sick but not showing symptoms, but they are spreading the virus, those people would um, actually be able to uh, conceal their coughs and sneezes a little bit more if they coughed or sneezed in public. And it would some of that would be caught by the mask and not spread out or be projected out. That's why we have that six-foot social distance metric because that's about the amount of space required to allow for droplets expelled when you cough or sneeze uh, to go to the floor and not be you know you not those aerosol droplets not to be breathed in by people in close proximity and so uh, if you have a mask that you can make at home um, there's actually some great youtube videos that i'll share on tuesday when i send out i may share them tomorrow yeah if i if i I, i'm sending out video um, emails every day but um there you could take a some cloth or a bandana Um, the one i saw was a bandana where you fold it in half and then fold it in half again and it creates this long band of material. And then they put these two elastic bands on that long band of material and then folded that uh, together. And then they folded each end into each other. And it's, it's hard to describe, uh, but you have to see it visually. But anyway, once they did that, they could pick up the whole thing and put the material over their mouth and nose and then put those elastic bands over their ears and cover their you know ears and it was a makeshift uh, made at home mask and you know i don't know what the efficacy is or effectiveness is of homemade masks but i mean it's got to be better than one percent you know so i mean uh especially if you're still maintaining social distancing i mean so let's say it's i don't know 10 20 percent i mean that's that's better than zero you know like if you're if you have to be out, that's that's the thing. Try to avoid going out if you if you can. But other good practices are if you do need to go to the grocery store, try to go early in the morning. You know, first thing, uh, you know, right right soon after they open, that's the time when there's been the least amount of traffic and the least amount of residual potential uh, germs, bacteria, viruses in the store. And so um, that's just a good habit. Also, you know, sanitizing the carts. And, you know, sanitizing your hands, washing your hands, all those things, good things. And uh, once again, apologies for belaboring these points, but uh, I care about everybody's health and safety. I don't want any of my students, uh, colleagues, faculty, friends, anybody uh, to be impacted by this. And so if we all try to look out for each other, we can make a big difference and um, reduce the spread, you know, and take care of our community. And if everybody had that attitude, and was serious about it, we would be able to stop this thing out in short order, uh, at least for the short term. All right, so other things. Um, I haven't watched a whole lot as far as um, my wife wanted to watch The Tiger King. We did. I did finish it, um, and I, I was, man, it's just uh, it's a hot mess. That's the best way to describe it, uh, th- the this thing on Netflix. And so if you haven't seen it, 
it's just it's just a hot mess. I would love to talk to you guys about it in class because of just 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 you know that's it's, it's so hard to describe just the 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 train wreck you're watching you know but it's 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 pure entertainment you know it's got a lot of entertainment value but i did watch um a couple movies i watched um uh, let's see i watched the zombie land double tap uh we wanted to watch that for a while and it came on one of the movie channels that that i get as a kind of a perk for re re uh, resubscribing to my contract uh with the satellite so um Hang on a second. I thought someone was coming to... No, I guess not. I thought my, my son was going to come say hey to me, but it looks like they're going to go back inside. So Okay. But anyway, yeah, Zombieland Double Tap. That was very good. I enjoyed it. Uh, highly recommend. It was just as good as the first movie. The other thing I watched was this movie on Netflix called The Platform. Um, I'm sure some of you have seen it because it it's been out for a while, and it's... Um, but it's pretty like highly rated or highly followed or it's been it's been trending, I guess, in the United States. But um, just to describe it, it's really a really gosh, hard to like it's hard to describe it. I would say I mean, it's a good movie, but it's deep. But at the same time, it's a it's a it's a horror movie, but it's also like philosophical because what happens in the movie is that the main character agrees to go into a prison so he can write a book about it, but the prison is a is a vertical prison where it's just like a I guess a tower, and each each like each their set of two prisoners live on each floor, uh, in a room that's probably like a thirty by thirty room, you know, and in the middle of the room there's a big hole. It's a rectangular hole, and uh, when you wake up in your room there is a number on the wall. It might be like number 68 or 117. And that's the level that you're on. And so at the beginning of the movie, you see these, uh, these chefs preparing this really nice spread, you know, so there's a table full of goodies and it's all kinds of decadent, great looking food. And what happens is every day they prepare this food and they start at the top level and then they send the food down each level through this hole in the floor in the center and as the food drops down, you know, each of the set of prisoners on each floor get to eat anything they want. But the problem is by the time it gets to like the the hundreds, you know, stories down, uh, most of the food is gone, you know. And so the main character tries to create this social change within the prison to say, if everybody will get on the page of rationing the food, then everybody all the way down to the bottom can have food. But as hard as he tries, um, he's mildly successful in, in making that happen because people are inherently greedy and they look out for their own self-interest, not the interest of others. And they look out for their own survival, not the survival of others. And so there was a lot of philosophical commentary like that in the in the movie and topics of violence and things like that come up. And so, but I mean, I really, I had to think about it for a while after it was over to really get you know, what, what the movie was saying, you know, cause there's other things that I'm not going to talk about just cause it was just getting too involved. But if you haven't seen it, watch it, but be prepared. There is some, some gory scenes and stuff like that. But I think there's, this is a movie that'll stick for a while. Cause it has a, it's an interesting premise and it has a deep philosophical construct to it. So if you want to watch something that'll tease your brain a little bit and be an interesting story, go ahead and check that out. 
It's called The Platform on Netflix. All right. Um, let's see what else. All right. I think we've done enough uh, kind of icebreaker stuff. I'd love to hear from you guys to see how you're doing and what's uh, what's up with you. So drop me an email. Uh, let me know how, how life is treating you, how things are going. I've heard from a few of you, and that's always good to hear from you. So anything I can do to support you, just let me know. But at this time, I'm going to go ahead and jump into Chapter 12 and do a kind of a brief uh, overview of the chapter and talk about some main aspects of it. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be covering Chapter 13. But for Chapter 12, um, uh, this chapter is all about bankruptcy, and there's a couple different types um, and we're going to talk about those things. So with bankruptcy, it, it's the law that governs the rights of creditors and insolvent debtors who cannot pay their debts. Bankruptcy deals with the seizure of the debtor's assets and the, their distribution to the debtor's various creditors. Each federal judicial district has a U.S. bankruptcy court whose judges are appointed by U.S. courts of appeal. Bankruptcy judges are here only. I'm sorry. Bankruptcy judge, judges are to here only bankruptcy matters called core proceedings and so we have several different types of bankruptcy codes there's several different chapters chapter 1 3 5 through 7 9 11 12 and 13 a lot of different types of uh, bankruptcies but in general we talk about re rehabilitation liquidations and the goals of the codes so with rehabilitation the objective of chapter 11 and 13 is to rehabilitate the debtor, meaning that when you go through rehabilitation, we are trying to fix fix what's been what's what's wrong. We're trying to rehabilitate something. So many debtors can return to financial health provided that they have time and breathing space to work out their their problems. These chapters hold creditors at bay, allowing the debtor to develop a payment plan. In return for retaining some of their assets, debtors typically promise to pay creditors a portion of their future earnings. So if you run into a problem where your debt and has, has gotten out of control or you can't, you can't handle it and uh, you just need some space to keep creditors at bay, you know, that, that option is, uh, is something that will, because uh, once you declare bankruptcy, creditors have to step back. They can no longer legally even contact you because you're under the shield of the bankruptcy. Now, I'm not an expert in bankruptcy, and I'll say that I have had friends that have been through bankruptcy, and I've heard various different stories, but it's all basically hearsay, you know, what they've, what they've told me. But um, I'll say that um, it should be used only as a last resort, you know, um, you may hear good things about bankruptcy, like, oh, you know, I filed bankruptcy and it did this and it was a good thing. You may see commercials on TV that encourage you to call to file bankruptcy. Well, I can't give legal advice. I'm not, uh, I'm not certified to give legal advice, but I'll just say I'll try to always get second and third opinions before you make any major life decisions. And filing bankruptcy is a major life decision because it will affect you for years. And so, and it may affect you for the rest of your life because even though there's a, a window of time that it will be reportable as far from a, uh, a metric where they evaluate you on that, it may still be uh, something that will be asked of you for you know, decades to come. They may say, have you ever filed for bankruptcy on a, on a questionnaire 
for a loan at some point, you know, 20, 30 years from now. You know, have you ever filed for bankruptcy? Might be a hot button question they would want to know. If you're trying to get a business loan, have you ever filed for bankruptcy? You know, stuff like that. So um, my advice to you as a citizen, uh, just as an individual would be, always get second and third opinions and use uh, bankruptcy as a option of last resort that would be when other options are exhausted. That's my personal advice, not professional or legal advice. And so liquidation, um, when debtors are unable to develop a feasible plan for rehabilitation under Chapter 11 or 13, Chapter 7 provides for liquidation, also known as straight bankruptcy. Most of the debtor's assets are distributed to creditors, but the debtor has no obligation to share future earnings. That basically, you get a clean slate. You know, everything's gone, though. So, um, in addition to liquidation, we have goals, uh, which is to preserve as much of the debtor's property as possible. So, the code requires debtors to disclose all their assets and prohibits them from transferring assets immediately before a bankruptcy filing. Uh, to divide the debtor's assets fairly between the debtor and the creditors, on the one hand, creditors are entitled to payments. On the other hand, debtors are often so deeply in debt that full payment is virtually impossible in any reasonable period of time. The code tries to balance the creditor's rights to be paid with the debtor's desire to get on with their lives unburdened by prior debts. To divide the creditor's share of the assets fairly among them, creditors rarely receive all they are owed, but at least they are treated fairly according to established rules. Creditors do not benefit from simply being the first to file or from any other gamesmanship. And so, just to talk a little bit more about these uh, specific chapters. Chapter 7, all bankruptcy cases proceed in roughly a similar pattern regardless of chapter. The purpose of liquidation is to convert the debtor's assets. We talked about that already. And so, there's um, some specifics to the proceedings we go through. Um, petition is the first part of the proceeding. Individual, partnership, or corporation may file a voluntary petition in bankruptcy. 99% of bankruptcies are voluntary petitions filed by the debtor, meaning that you know it's coming. This is what we must do. Once a voluntary petition is filed or an involuntary petition is approved, the bankruptcy court issues an order of, uh, for relief. This order is an official acknowledgement that the debtor is under the jurisdiction of the court, and it is, in a sense, the start of the whole bankruptcy process. When the judge issues an order for relief, the interim trustee is appointed, who is authorized initially to take control of the debtor's assets. The trustee is required to collect the property, liquidate the debtor's estate, and distribute the proceeds to creditors. Uh, in Chapter 7, the creditors select their own trustee, must do so at the creditor's meeting and follow the process um, explicitly. Um, other trustees, I'm sorry, other chapters, the trustee is appointed by the court. Uh, the creditors, after the court issues an order for relief, the U.S. trustee calls a meeting of all the creditors. At the meeting, the bankrupt must answer under oath any questions the creditor pose about his financial situation. If the creditors want to elect a trustee, they do so at this meeting. After the meeting of the creditors, unsecured creditors must submit a proof of claim. This document is a simple form um, stating the name of the creditor and the amount of the claim. If creditor does not file a claim, it loses the right to be paid. 
And so automatic stay, the petition, volunteer or otherwise, operates as a stay against suits or other actions against the debtor to recover claims, enforce judgment, or create liens. So that's what the stay does if you file for bankruptcy. That's that shield I was talking about earlier. Um, and so let's talk about payments of claims. Crowded coffee houses pushing to be the first or number system. Pushing to be first or number system. The code has, in essence, adopted a number of systems to prevent a free-for-all fight over the bankrupt's assets. So this is trying to create some organized chaos. Uh, one of the code's primary goals is to ensure the creditors are paid in the proper order, not according to who pushes the front to the front of the line. All claims are placed placed in one of three classes: secured claims, priority claims, and unsecured claims. And you should be familiar with some of these terms already. So secured is first. Secured creditors get their security interest before anyone else is satisfied. Security interest is not part of the property that the trustee is entitled to bring into the estate. So this is why being a secured creditor is important. Priority follow line after that. Subdivided into categories ranked in order of priority. The highest priority class within the general class of priority claims must be paid off in full before the next class can share in the distribution from the estate and so on. So things like alimony and child support, administrative expenses, attorney's fees, um, gap creditors, employee wages. So these are priority items. Unsecured claims are the final, um, I guess, tranche or group. All three of these unsecured sub, um, subcategories have equal claim so um, and must be paid together. So unsecured claims, uh, unsecured creditors have now reached the coffee house counter. These are the last in line, and they can only hope some of the coffee remains. Uh, as an example. And so secured, priority, and unsecured. Those are the three types that we're dealing with when it comes to uh, who gets what uh, or what type of claim they have with regard to bankruptcy. All right, so debtor's duties. The debtor, reasonably enough, is supposed to file a list of creditors, assets, liabilities, and current income, and a statement of financial affairs. The debtor must cooperate with the trustee and be an honest debtor in general. The failure to abide by these duties is grounds for denial of discharge. Must show evidence that he or she attended an approved nonprofit budget and counseling agency within 180 days before the filing. Uh, filing. So there are some exemptions. The Bankruptcy Act exempts certain properties of the estate uh, of an individual debtor so that he or she will not be impoverished upon discharge. Exactly what is exempt depends on state law. What is necessary for the debtor to live in different, is different in Maine versus what's necessary to live in California. Unless the state has opted out of the federal exemption, a majority have, a debtor can choose which exemptions to claim. There are some exemptions, not including in the bankruptcy code, that are listed and discussed in the chapter reading. And so, dischargeable versus non-dischargeable debts. So, discharge are things that you can uh, wipe away, but some non-dischargeable debts, so these are things that cannot be gotten rid of in bankruptcy. So, debts not listed in the bankruptcy petition, if you don't list them, they are, they're automatically not dischargeable. Student loans, taxes, fines for violating the law, 
alimony and child support, personal injury debts, consumer debt on luxury goods, cash advances made before order of relief, debts incurred because of fraud or security violations, debts from willful injury to another property, another property, and debts from embezzlement. So all those things, if you go through bankruptcy, are still going to remain. Um, and then we get to reaffirmation. A debtor may reaffirm a debt uh, that was discharged. A reaffirmation agreement is an agreement entered into by the debtor with a creditor prior to discharge, whereby the debtor agrees to pay the creditor a debt that would otherwise be discharged in bankruptcy. They may want to reaffirm a secured debt to avoid losing the collateral. A loan, example is a loan with a, a loan with car as collateral. Sometimes debtors reaffirm because they feel guilt or want to maintain a good relationship with a creditor. They may have borrowed from a family member or an important supplier. Reaffirmation is filed with the courts. Approval is required if the debtor is not represented by an attorney. And so these last few bits are chapter 11 provides a means by which corporations, partnerships, and other businesses, including sole proprietorships, can rehabilitate themselves um, and continue to operate free from the burden of debts that they cannot pay. It is simple enough to apply for the protection of the courts in Chapter 11 proceedings, and for many years, large financially ailing companies have sought shelter in Chapter 11. Well-known examples include General Motors, Texaco, Kmart, Delta Airlines and Northwest Airlines. An increasing number of corporations have turned to Chapter 11 even though, by conventional terms, they were solvent. Doing so enables them to negotiate with creditors to reduce debts. That seems like such a corrupt and scammy thing to do. You know, these corporations, and I'm a capitalist, I have to remind you, but I like fair capitalism and, and I don't like crony or corrupt capitalism. But yeah, if, if, if you know we do something, we're expected to be accountable for that. And if a corporation is using a bankruptcy just to kind of weasel out of some debt, that seems a little, you know, a little slimy to me. But anyway, so eligibility, this is chapter 11 and chapter 7. Any person eligible to discharge in, uh, in chapter 7 proceedings is eligible for chapter 11 proceedings, except stockbrokers and commodity brokers. Individuals filing chapter 11 must take credit counseling. Businesses do not. A company may voluntarily enter Chapter 11 or may be put there involuntarily by creditors. Individuals can file Chapter 11, particularly if they do, I'm sorry, if they have too much debt and qualify for Chapter 13 and make too much money to qualify for Chapter 7. Under the 2005 Act, individuals must commit future wages to creditors just as they would in Chapter 13. Um, regarding the operation of a business, unless a trustee is an appointing, the debtor will retain possession of the business and may continue to operate with its own management. The court may appoint a trustee on request of any party in interest after notice and a hearing. The appointment may be made for calls such as dishonesty, incompetence, and gross mismanagement, or if it is otherwise in the best interest of the creditors. Frequently, the same incompetence incompetent management that got the business into bankruptcy is left running it. That is a criticism of Chapter 11. Yeah, if you guys left the bankruptcy, how is it that you're running it after the fact? So, good question. Creditor's commitment. In Chapter 11 bankruptcy, the creditor's committee 
is important because there is usually no neutral trustee to watch over their interests. The committee generally protects the interest of its constituency and may um, play a role in developing the reorganization plan. The bankruptcy code requires the committee to communicate diligent, diligently with all creditors. The court must appoint a committee of unsecured creditors as soon as practicable. I'm sorry, practicable. Ah, that's a tongue twister. Practicable. There we go. After issuing the order of relief, usually the seventh largest creditors. Uh, secured creditors do not serve because their interests required less protection. If the debtor is a corporation, trustee may also be appointed uh, a committee or of shareholders. The trustee may also appoint a committee of shareholders. All right, and then we get to the reorganization plan. The next stage is to develop a plan of reorganization that provides the payment of debts and the continuation of the business. The debtor may always file its own plan, whether in a voluntary or involuntary case. There are certain timelines and processes with this plan, as explained in the chapter, including acceptance of the plan. The final act necessary under Chapter 11 is confirmation by the court. Once the court confirms the plan, the plan is binding on all creditors. The debtor gets discharged when all payments under the plans are completed. A Chapter 11 bankruptcy may be converted to Chapter 7, with some restrictions, if it turns out the debtor cannot make the plan work. All right, and so we get to this last piece on Chapter 13. Anyone with steady income who is having difficulty paying off accumulated debt may seek the protection of a bankruptcy court in Chapter 13 proceedings, often called the Wage Earners Plan. Under this chapter, the individual debtor presents a payment plan to creditors, and the court appoints a trustee. If the creditors wind up with more under the plan presented than they would receive in Chapter 7 proceedings, then the court is likely to approve it. In general, a uh, Chapter 13 repayment plan extends the time to pay the debt and may reduce it so that the debtor need not pay at all. Typically, the debtor will pay a fixed sum monthly to the trustee who will distribute it to the creditors. And so people seek Chapter 13 discharge instead of Chapter 7 for various reasons. They make too much money to pass the Chapter 7 means test. They are behind on their mortgage or car payment and want to make them up over time and reinstate the original agreements. They have debts that they can't be discharged in Chapter 7. They have non-exempt property they want to keep. They have um, co-debtors on a personal debt who would be liable if the debtor went to Chapter 7. They have a real desire to pay their debts, but cannot do so without getting the creditors to give them some breathing room. Chapter 7 cases may always be converted to Chapter 13. And so that does wrap up our discussion on Chapter 12 regarding bankruptcy. Now, I know that was a very quick overview of the chapter, which, which was my intention. Uh, I know you've already done the homework on this chapter, so I didn't want to belabor it, but I do appreciate your time and attention. I'm trying to think of anything else I wanted to mention before we break it for today. I know that your homework for Chapter 13, which we will cover on Wednesday, is going to be due on Thursday, I believe, because I didn't assign any homework for Good Friday. So just keep that in mind. It's going to be due Thursday this week, not Friday. Um, there, I sent out a bunch of notes last week regarding services on the campus that are still active. 
we are, the campus itself is closed as far as access to students, but we are working to still provide every available service that we had before in an online format. So if you do need tutoring, um, if you need to speak to financial aid or counseling, uh, all those services are still in place. So you will be able to still access those services uh, as you did before. Um, one important note that um, I think I've had several students run into issues with regarding um, regards to access. We are working to establish an outside hotspot. So you could drive up in your car, park, and be able to um, get access to Wi-Fi in the parking lot. That's something that we're going to get some more updates on soon. But that'll be a really good thing because um, when I was a graduate student, I had to do that pretty often. I live in an area with very limited um, uh, wireless opportunities. In fact, we don't have high-speed internet in my area. At one point, I did have satellite internet, but it was so atrocious for the money I was paying that I just gave it up. And I actually, I was in a contract, so there was like half a year I didn't even use it, and I was still paying for it. Um, so... Uh, when I finally dropped it, I just said, you know, I'm just going to use my cell phone hotspot to connect to my, my computer or my iPad when I need to either do grading or updates uh, in Moodle and things like that. And so I get, you know, a lot of you have connection issues, um, but just keep in mind we are working on that. And so if you do need um, some assistance or you need to reach out regarding that, just, just send me a note because I've had a few people um, discussing that very issue. But yeah, I remember, you know, when I was a graduate student, um, I, you know, if I had to work on something, I would drive uh, to Mount Olive and either go to the University of Mount Olive campus or McDonald's and sit in the parking lot and uh, connect to their Wi-Fi. And that was something, that was a norm. That was something I did. So yeah, you got to do what you got to do. But I realize these, there's a lot of challenges that you guys have been dealing with and I appreciate you. I, I know um, this is, uh, this has been a difficult couple of weeks of adjustment, but if there's anything at all we can do to support you, I want you to let us know. Um, if you guys, any of you are having uh, challenges re regarding food, uh, let me know about that because there's things that can be done about that. Um, but just want you to know you're not alone in this. We're here to support you. I'm here to help. And anything at all, send me an email. Guys, I appreciate your time and attention, and I will follow up with you again soon via email. And I will be back in touch again on Wednesday with our lecture on Chapter 13. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.